So let's go ahead and get started. So um, Dr. Amora, welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife and producer, Janet. And today we are recording a show because Janet and I will be out of town. Um, so we will be playing this. This will not be a live show. It'll be great to have Dr. Amora on. Um, and we can save our questions for next time. So Dr. Sean Amora, um, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, so um, I'm a uh, physician and I grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, was uh, a suburb of the Washington, D.C. area. My dad was a government servant and uh, went to public schools and then did a couple years in community college studying criminal justice and then transferred to Penn State University, continued my studies in criminal justice. After I finished uh, met our, uh, Penn State University, I went on to uh, work in law enforcement. And actually during college, I worked as a police officer too. And um, then entered uh, undercover narcotics, narcotics strike force and did uh, also organized crime task force uh, undercover in both positions. And ultimately, couldn't get away from my interest in science and medicine. So I decided to apply to medical school. And at that point, I owned, owed so much in undergraduate and law school loans that I decided to pursue a scholarship through the Army. Uh, having been a police officer, I figured I could be uh, a soldier physician. And uh, so I got a scholarship through the um, uh, U.S. Army to attend Temple University Medical School after finishing law school at Villanova University. I stayed in the uh, Philadelphia area. And uh, after finishing medical school at Temple, I went on to specialize in emergency medicine, trained for four years in emergency medicine, and, uh, and, and trained at Brook Army Medical Center down in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, worked uh, for the past uh, year with a handful of executive clients and professional athletes interested in uh, improving their health, but more importantly, reversing, uh, or more importantly, improving uh, their performance. Talk a little bit more about the concierge medicine that you started in Korea, or it's kind of yeah. where you started it with VPs and stuff. Yeah. So while in Korea, I was uh, chief of uh, part of emergency medicine for the U.S. Army hospitals out there, and part of my responsibilities was to provide medical support to visiting dignitaries. So, I got experience taking care of uh, the vice president, U.S. vice president, uh, former president. We provide this high-end support to what we call the senior executive service and then other foreign dignitaries coming to Korea. I can see the idea of like, hey, you know, we should set up a company providing concierge medical care to like very wealthy uh, private citizens to give them kind of the same care that the vice presidents and presidents and, you know, foreign, you know, senior executive service of other countries. So we set up a, a very high-end concierge medical practice uh, that I founded back in 2007. And we provide care to former occupants of the White House and, and to uh, 52 billionaires. And it was really interesting because wow. they were kind of the ultimate source of kind of funding. So any really good idea that you came up with uh, would get funded by them if they thought it was a good idea and they liked it. So we were building very sophisticated hospital grade medical systems in their homes, uh, underground, in their yachts, and uh, even like ultra luxury big motor coach homes, buses. 
And um, it was really fascinating, but I, in building all that capability, it kind of challenged me to think as an emergency medicine doctor and creatively, how else could you use that equipment instead of waiting for them to have a heart attack or a stroke? Uh, could you use that equipment to maybe prevent them from having it? So I started rethinking about, you know, higher yield and a better return on this pre-placed, you know, medical capability. And I realized that all that capability is really set up, doesn't really prevent things. Right. But, you know, you know, you, you, could, you, could, you could think about that, but uh, we're really good at responding to strokes. But really what prevents things are changes in your lifestyle. So ultimately, I abandoned all that hardware and software systems of concierge medicine and uh, entered the world of research, looking at different interventions, I call them now, basically lifestyle choices. What can you do in your life to help the disease process be reversed inside human beings and really to prevent medical problems in the first place? And that's... That what I found out is is my passion. Uh, my passion and purpose in life is to help people that really want to get healthy and really perform better, really get healthy and really perform better. So right. <laughs> that's that's what I spend most of my creative energy thinking about and trying to do with uh, individuals, and uh, I love it. It's the most rewarding work. I have ever been involved with in my uh, 56 years of living. That's awesome to hear. So speaking of studies, we, we can make it quick. This is kind of how you and I um, contacted each other is um, I had Dr. Sean Baker from the author of the carnivore diet on my show a few weeks ago. And um, he put out a message on Instagram that you were looking for twins to study um, regarding the carnivore diet. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I got interested in the concept of, for a long time as physicians, uh, we've known the value of studying uh, particularly identical twins, monozygotic twins. And uh, at the time, there were a couple twins in the National Guard um, that uh, were monozygotic identical twins. And uh, one of them was interested in eating carnivore and the other one wasn't and was just eating carbs. And I thought, how fascinating, it'd be interesting to see what difference that would make uh, in you know, their different ways of eating to study them and the manners and using the, the biomarkers that we do, you know, which is through MRI quantification. And so we scanned both of them and uh, they both were very healthy and the intention was to uh, track the difference uh, in their diets measured by uh, fat to muscle ratios. But unfortunately, these two individuals got, uh, they're, they're both too, too busy to return and follow up and do scans. And uh, that's part of the challenge of science. You, you got to find a population of people willing to right. donate themselves that can conveniently be studied. So we're still looking for identical twins in the Minneapolis area um, that would be willing to be scanned about uh, once a month to track uh, muscle to fat ratios. Uh, that would be interested in trying a carnivore diet and a carbohydrate diet. So uh, that uh, that study is uh, a uh, uh, a work in progress, and I'm going to be contacting hopefully the uh, National Twin Registry to look for uh, various different studies. They're looking at monozygotic twins. Contact maybe individually twins that may have already been included in twin studies that might be willing to look at that diet. But yeah, it's a fascinating uh, area to look at monozygotic twins. 
and I, it would be perfect to continue to study the difference between the carnivore diet and somebody eating maybe the, a standard American diet especially. Well, my brother and I were super excited to, to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, since we're not in the Minneapolis area, it would be kind of difficult because you, you need to do MRIs every three weeks or something? Yeah, about, right? about once a month, ideally, okay. would be, yeah. um, you know. So, so tell me a little bit, you talked a little bit about health optimization. Will you explain a little bit more about health optimization and, sure. and what that is? So health optimization is, is really taking the concept of people who want to get healthy and expanding their, their level of motiva motivation and more importantly, their ability to kind of look at the end point of that and say, really, uh, there is no end point. The ability to optimize your health is kind of the new um, infinite frontier that we don't know uh, to what extent we can actually optimize the health of somebody. Because I, I, in my opinion, I don't think it's ever really been done, but that's the, the most exciting um, area of science that I think that is available to us, not, not so much science, uh, space or the ocean and these other areas that typically people think about. Um, but I actually think it's how healthy you can get somebody. So as a health optimizing and performance optimizing physician, I look to what, what are we able of achieving within Homo sapiens to actually improve their health? If we looked at all the various different decisions that people could make, and you looked at all the various different information, biomarkers and metrics to follow, and you made a concerted effort, how would that impact those individuals' lives in terms of how healthy they, you could get them? And also more, I think, uh, equally important, how much better could you get them performing? And I think that's, that's a super exciting area. And I'd like to uh, promote that area because I think if we can do that, the ability to impact and improve our country and improve the population of people across the board is almost without limit. And so for that reason, uh, I try to look for opportunities to talk to community groups and do podcasts and <clears throat> radio shows about this concept of health optimization because I think it has so much to offer uh, our country. So one of these, you, you speak of biomarkers, and, and I agree with you 100%. I, 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 think, I think it's the future. Um, what we're doing in our healthcare system is not working now. And we'll talk a little, about that, a little bit about that later. But you talked about biomarkers. Um, is one of these biomarkers visceral fat? Is that, that's one thing that you think is really, really important, correct? I do. I do. I think visceral fat is probably uh, the most valuable biomarker to follow and is probably one of the least well-known there's you know increasing i think knowledge vague knowledge about belly fat and deep belly fat it's the kind of fat that kills you and we've you know kind of heard that discussed for several years but nobody really knows how to measure it very well there there's a, a scan out there a technology called dexa scan which um is about a hundred dollars you can get a dexa scan which will give you a quantified amount of dexa and it right. does image it a little bit, but really poor because it gives you a longitudinal uh, perspective of what that uh, visceral fat might look like. So it's not very compelling to take a look at. But when you do something like a CT scan or an MRI scan, it allows you to get like a cross section, you know, through, you know, through somebody, you know, in a, in a cross section plane. 
And that gives you a much better look at the amount of visceral fat and what that looks like in, actually looks like inside of you. And the problems with the CT scanner is it, it uses a, a lot of radiations and the DEXA scan uses radiation too, but not quite as much as the CT scanner. But the MRI doesn't use any radiation, it just uses magnetic fields. And so in our practice, since we have our own scanner built into our practice, we can scan people literally every day if we want to and uh, track these differences. And we've seen visceral fat accumulate and change in, in the course of just uh, a weekend. So we can scan somebody wow. on Friday. Um, they can uh, do something different, either fast or can do something harmful, like go to a wedding and eat a lot of carbohydrates and bring them back on Monday and we'll show them where their visceral fat has changed. Uh, so that's it's a really sensitive um, uh, technology that's useful to follow that biomarker. From a research standpoint, uh, standpoint really rich in what's called the signal to noise ratio. So that means it's, okay. um, it's got a high yield. There's a lot of relevance to that biomarker. So I like to contrast it to cholesterol. Cholesterol is very low signal to noise ratio. That's why when you take a look at it, look at the data, you find there's, there's a lot of, you know, disparate and um, uh, competing results when it comes to cholesterol right. being either eliminated or increased. So, you know, the average person that has their first heart attack uh, has actually normal levels of cholesterol, yet they, they're having heart attacks. And then we see studies that show the people that have the lowest mortality when they have, more, uh, have a heart attack actually have the lowest amount of cholesterol. So you got a whole country and doctors filled um, you know, in a, filling the healthcare system with objectives to try to eliminate cholesterol and to what gain. But if you right. eliminate visceral fat, you eliminate uh, much of the associated uh, disease processes that are connected to visceral fat, like namely chronic disease, of which that includes life-threatening diseases like heart attacks and strokes and cancer. So direct, there's no amount of visceral fat that you want. You so want there's to no, get there's no benefit. Every, okay. Every there's ounce no, of it. There's no benefit of visceral fat in our bodies no. is what you're saying. No. Right. No benefit and, and of, whatsoever. Right. So, and of course, we know without cholesterol, we'll die. I mean, cholesterol is exactly necessary. And yeah. we also know that you know, the statins have been out for 30 plus years yet cardiovascular disease is at an all-time high and almost everybody's on a statin. I'm, I'm exaggerating. So what we're doing is not working. It's not about cholesterol. Is that what you're saying? That's, it. That's exactly right. And I, and I like to point out, you know, it's, if it's such an important objective, uh, you never see any direct benefit. I mean, who, who do you know ever gets, it runs around saying, I, got my, I went to my doctor and I got my cholesterol under control and it completely changed my life. But that's, that's what happens when you lose visceral fat. You, I, you're right. That's great. I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you get rid of visceral fat, that signal to noise ratio is so high, it will change your life. Particularly if you, you know, you're walking around with a lot of visceral fat and then you go down to no visceral fat, that's about as big of a life-changing biological event as you could possibly have. And it's all for the better. So I really think it's important for physicians and healthcare health proponents to educate people about this this terrible condition, visceral fat substance inside their body, uh, to tell them one how to measure it, 
and two, how to get rid of it. And that's the other thing I think, unfortunately, a lot of physicians and healthcare providers are very poor at getting rid of visceral fat because uh, they, they don't really know how to get rid of it and they don't know how to measure it. And it's not something that's being promoted by the conventional healthcare system because I, I, I hate, to, I don't want to be cons conspiratorial, but it begins to cut into profits. If you've got a system that is always treating disease, and then you find a highly effective biomarker that eradicates disease when it's eliminated. Don't expect big pharma, uh, right. insurance companies, or healthcare systems to get behind that which is going to directly undermine their revenue and their purpose for existence is not to get you healthy, but it's to generate profits. So there's a strong conflict of interest, I think, uh, that belies the lack of interest and appetite um, unfortunately, that healthcare systems, insurance companies, and the pharmaceutical industry uh, might otherwise have for visceral fat. Now, maybe if big pharma could figure out a pill that would get rid of visceral fat, uh, they'd probably get behind that. But um, then it would undermine all their abilities to generate revenue from all the other medications they get. So my guess, right. let me speak to you right now. Our big pharma, I bet you know one of you are trying to figure out a pharmacological solution to visceral fat. Because why? Because your actuarials to look at that realize then we're gonna lose the revenue. Right. So if you're in that particular space and you say, huh, that doctor figured that out, maybe it's time you think about getting out of the particular industry that you're in and join us on the health optimization side. People that are really trying to get people healthy and help us do that. You know, there are people beginning to leave the pharmaceutical industry. But I, I bet you I'm spot on. I just just thought of that. But I bet you they, they're not even looking at that target because they're just going to lose money. I agree with you. And, and think about this is that there is no diagnosis code for healing, right? I mean, we, we, we are in a sick care system. That's how the system generally generates money. So there are a lot of people that do not want people to get healthy um and and those are just the facts so that's why you know folks like yourself have to get out there and educate and empower patients empower people and empower other healthcare providers that there's a different way it does it does not have to be the sick care system and and speaking of that you know you speak of chronic disease in our country tell us about the cost you've talked about the cost of chronic disease in, our, in this country tell us a little bit about that yeah, so in my opinion, what I like to talk about when I speak to community groups and organizations about chronic disease and health optimization is that it's our, our country's biggest problem. And the reason why I say that justification of that position, and uh, I, I think we ought to pay attention to our problems. We about yeah. all sorts of problems, but nobody's talking about our biggest one. And the biggest one is by far uh, unassailable, unassailably the largest problem in our country is chronic disease from a standpoint of money, um, first of all, $3.8 trillion a year we spend on chronic disease. And that's direct just, cost, correct? Yeah. That's, so, that's I mean, just, imagine the indirect cost, lost productivity and so exactly. on. Exactly. Before even, you know, going beyond, you know, those, those factors, just direct costs. And oh, by the way, wow. every one of those dollars is preventable. It's just money we're wasting. It's not like it's for food or water. Um, you know, which you can't prevent. You got you need money to to be able to do those things or cost associated. But chronic disease 
is something that we tolerate. We waste $3.8 trillion a year. And then you're exactly right. No other problem um, will, will ruin more lives, a decrease in the quality of life. So people's quality of life is ruined and their productivity and performance is degraded as a consequence of that. So no yeah. one's really been able to accurately, that's been kind of estimated, but just imagine um, how much more money that gets, gets added to, to this particular, the magnitude of this problem. And then finally, as if those criteria aren't already bad, bad enough, nothing kills more people than chronic disease. And who even thinks about it? Right. And who so, is working this problem in our government right. and, and, and in the healthcare system? Nobody except they're exploiting it to make money. Absolutely. And so give us some examples. Chronic disease is a pretty broad term. Give us some examples of these chronic diseases. Well, what's interesting is uh, that we haven't done um, a lot of studies, you know, specifically looking at the exact, you know, causes of chronic disease, in my opinion. It's just not something that people want to track from a preventive standpoint and measure and, and draw any more attention to other than we can exploit it and make a lot of money. But visceral fat, has all, a lot associated with the chronic disease. But if you look at the studies and there, there's a paucity of, out, uh, of these uh, studies, I think we need to do, do a lot more. Uh, it has been our experience that every single, we've scanned over 4,000 people, adults coming in um, that have a variety of different chronic disease. And we have yet to, to find a single condition that did not improve with the elimination or reduction of visceral fat. So okay. just improving the chronic disease burden within people uh, or visceral fat and contributions to it seems to improve every form of chronic disease. And, and uh, there's a huge amount. There's arthritis, there's tendonitis, there's bursitis, there's gastroesophageal reflux, there's myocardial infarctions, heart attacks, strokes, uh, memory impairments, uh, virtually almost anything that goes wrong with the body short of trauma is basically a disease process which uh, is accelerated and worsened by visceral fat and poor it is it's really nothing more than a product of poor lifestyle choices which unfortunately exists only because people are not educated they're not we're, we don't do enough with with the ability to try to inform people and educate people, you still have, you know, people making, you know, terrible decisions about what they should eat and what they shouldn't be eating and how they should be conducting their lives. And in the year 2020, when we, we possess so much amazing developed uh, knowledge about so many particular areas, when it comes to something as simple as how do you live your life that we're so incredibly inept and, and for those, you know, for your audience listening, I would submit 30,000 years ago, we had it down in spades. We knew exactly how to live. We paid attention to how we did. We had traditions that improved our performance and allowed us to hunt and gather very well. And today we've lost that. Other objectives have come in. It's other important things instead of just being really great at hunting and gathering. We now try to be really good at, as attorneys, as radio broadcasters, as right. uh, you know, accountants, uh, yep. basketball coaches, engineers, 
but nobody really focuses on the basics, which is becoming really good at hunting and gathering. But if we change that approach and got people back into what it is that optimize the hunting gathering, that doesn't mean you have to go out and hunt and gather, but just getting those fundamentals on what makes you a better hunter and gatherer, then you'd be a better accountant, you'd be a better attorney, you'd be a better electrician, you'd be a better you know, uh, Uber driver, or you know, painter or what artist, whatever you do, as you improve the biology of a person, they actually perform better and have a better quality of life. So that's why I think it's terribly important. I can't think of anything that has the capacity uh, as much for positively improving and impacting across the board, everybody's life and everybody's vocation, everything they do, than just optimizing health. And yet almost nobody knows about it. Yeah, well, that's why we need to get the word out. Um, so visceral fat, I mean, I'm assuming that's going to affect type 2 diabetes, right? Or, you know, I don't absolutely. know if I want to say cause it, but there's a, there's a link is what, to that disease too, probably? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So the things that reverse visceral fat actually reverse type 2 diabetes and improves many other uh, disease, chronic disease processes. Uh, visceral fat, some of the things that and I'll just jump ahead and you probably would wonder, your audience is probably, well, what the heck I got to do to get rid of visceral fat? Right. Well, and, and you know what? Go ahead and explain, explain to our audience, what is visceral fat? You say yeah. it's, it's, there's no, it does no good in the body. Explain what it is. Yeah. So visceral fat is uh, the deep fat that's within your abdomen, which you don't know about. So most people, when it comes to like belly fat, they'll grab their belly you know, the like roll of fat on their, their high part of their abdomen and, and grab like the pinch the inch kind of fat. But that's subcutaneous fat. That's fat right underneath your skin uh, that people can readily see and feel. Visceral fat is fat that's deep in the abdomen surrounding your organs. It's around your liver. It's around your intestines. It's, it's, it's dispersed with throughout your abdominal cavity. And that that fat is very dangerous and different uh, from the type of fat that's just needed the skin because the, especially because of what it produces. It releases highly inflammatory uh, molecules called cytokines. And these, these molecules get, uh, because of their close proximity to the portal vein, uh, get absorbed you know, within your vascular system to be distributed throughout your body and all, all different tissue bodies, you know, bodies of tissue throughout your, your whole uh, existence. And so literally it's affecting your distal tips of your toenails, turning them yellow, um, as well as, you know, uh, tissue really close, uh, like around in your heart and just, just your, your intestines. So this inflammatory, you know, distribution of these damaging molecules throughout your body just promote and cause disease. And as we said earlier, there's no benefit conferred by it. So you should really purpose as a human being to first understand how much visceral fat you have in your body so that you've got a problem. So you're motivated because most people aren't motivated. It's like that the hidden problem they don't know about. So they're in denial and there's, there's a lack of initiative on their part to do anything to change their lives to get rid of that visceral fat, but that's exactly what they, they should do. It's what you want to do. It's the, the enemy inside you. I tell people it's, uh, he's inside your wire. 
and you don't even know it. It's like a, a, a bad guy in your backyard with a Glock pointing right <laughs> up at your, your head and you're just right. com not even aware of it. Yeah. So, so you started to go into how to get rid of it. Is that something that we, we have time for uh, real quick? Yeah. So what I would get into, and there's a lot of things, the more you do to optimize your health, the more visceral fat gets vanquished from your body. But I would say it starts with chiefly what you eat and more importantly, what you don't eat. So you don't want to be eating carbohydrates and you don't want to especially process carbohydrates. And so the, the two big things I get people to do is predominantly eat meat. I've looked at many scans and the people that do the best and get the best results of reducing visceral fat go yep. carnivore right. and eliminate carbohydrates and also adopt fasting. And so normalizing your blood sugars uh, so that you don't have a lot of spikes in frequency and amplitude of blood sugars yep. um, by typically eating like one meal a day is great and some extended fasting and then eliminating carbohydrates and eating more protein and healthy fats are the, the strategies that I, that I see are most effective at eliminating visceral fat. And, and so talk about a little bit of, about intermittent fasting and, you know, is it 12 hours of fasting, 18 hours, 24 hours? I know there's all kinds of different ideas about it. So what, what do you recommend? So what I like to say is um, I always look back at trying to figure out what we, what we need to do today by looking back what worked well and what has nature always provided. So nature right. didn't do a schedule. Nature provided variability. So when it comes to fasting, I tell people to mix it up. Sometimes okay. you would be fasting maybe just once a day. I mean, it would be hard to, be hard to imagine that, that a hunter-gatherer society would go out and hunt and eat a, you know, an animal every single day. That's a, that's a lot of meat to be consuming. Right. So basically, right. and it's a lot of work, you know, to go out and hunt together. So basically you, you would, you hunt when you, when you get, you know, get hungry and not when you're full uh, or maybe when opportunity would, would come around. So sometimes that would be shorter periods of time. Sometimes it'd be longer. So I get my clients, uh, I try to get them slowly because if you get them too fast into it, they fall away. And so right. you have to have effective strategies so people don't get discouraged. And I slowly increase periods of time they're fasting so they can comfortably um, promote or adopt a lifestyle of fasting for longer periods of time. So ideally, I like to see people fasting kind of one meal a day that they uh, break it down into um, a, a, a big meal uh, during a, maybe a two-hour period of time. And then extended fasting, I try to get people to fast um, ideally about two to three days for the extended fasting. And I like to see that uh, done at least for two weekends um, out of, the, out of the, the month. You know, weekends work well because, you know, kind of life, the modern lifestyles, it's kind of a nice time to, to fast, or at least, you know, ultimately you should be fasting somewhere between, in my opinion, about four to 12 days out of the month, you shouldn't be eating any calories during that time. And, uh, I think, I think having a kind of a variety approach, you might try doing a six day fast and, and then only doing, you know, a, a one day fast and mixing it up that way. But I think nature wants variety. And ultimately as that visceral fat gets removed from the body, you see people's faces becoming so much more healthier, you know, by reducing those blood sugars. And this, if you're listening to this, what I want you to pay attention to are people who fast, 
who do carnivore and watch what happens with their faces compared to over a long period of time compared to people who do the opposite eat a lot of food very frequently a lot of carbohydrates and that and, I'm, and it's unfortunately it's what a lot of vegans do and their faces okay. become inflamed so i i see in particularly long-term vegans a large amount of inflammation in their face and a lot of visceral fat so when we scan a vegans because of those elevated blood sugars that they they're constantly snacking on, on, on vegetation all the time. They have, uh, they might be thin on the outside, but fat on the inside, we call them tofies, and uh, they have elevated amounts of visceral fat. So um, I, I encourage you, if you're a vegan, to, to get a visceral fat scan, see what's going on and watch. Stay vegan, but repeat it and see if it's getting better, if it's getting worse. But don't follow cholesterol. What are you following? You gotta follow the right things. And so biologically, you don't need labs, you need MRIs, two things you need, a healthy looking face, a healthy looking body that performs well. And if that's not happening to you, if your face isn't getting healthy, your body's not getting healthier, and you're not performing better, even when you're getting older, like 10 years older, you're on the wrong diet. And Absolutely. so and, it, and when it's you, appearance and performance yep. that reflects how I, we're eating the correct diet. Absolutely. And you know, you know this well enough that um, you know you can usually spot a vegan when you see them. You know they're vegan right away because they they usually don't have even if they're thin, they don't have a lot of lean body mass. That's that's usually true, and they look kind of pasty because they're a lot of times they're um, iron deficient. Is this, you you do you see do you find that? Oh, I do. I yeah. do. I I am actually starting to collect you know facial photographs of vegans, you know that I get off the internet, and um, it sarcopenia is accelerated by veganism, a, a vegan lifestyle um, without choline and without creatine. Um, it's, it's just, a, and, and B12 and, and, and the other nutrients that uh, vegan, vegans are deficient in, it accelerates muscle atrophy, muscle wasting. And, uh, and, and v, the MRI you know, clearly shows us their fat to muscle ratios uh, are poor. And here's, here's the biggest thing. They get pencil necks. They get these, yep. they get very, I call them ants. They <laughs> look at long-term vegans. They, 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 they wear shirts because the older vegans have been 20, 30 years, don't want to show off their bodies anymore. Their, their muscles in their neck are atrophying relative to their head. So little tiny necks. And so, you know, people joke about Representative Adam Schiff, the congressman, they call him pencil neck Schiff uh, because he, he's got this thing next, but it's veganism. And I didn't I'm know that. I'm trying to disparage them. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just putting out. And Al Sharpton, you know, he's got, he looks like he's got this big head and a little tiny skinny neck. And these, these are kind of famous individuals that you can find, you know, easily. But it's, it's not the young healthy people that just go vegan. It's the young person that went vegan 20 years ago. Right. And then look at this, this atrophy and sarcopenia that sets in and, and the higher, you know, degree of inflammation in their face. Uh, they, they just, they, they have an older look. Uh, to them, and now, of course, there's there's a few exceptions, and there are going to be some bad, you know, better ones in the low carb community uh, too, as well. But it's it's the masses, the larger numbers uh, that we need to look at. So I want to see a carnivore versus vegan diet. I'd love to see the the biomarkers looking at, particularly the MRI. And you could just do it all with just the faces. Artificial intelligence in the future are going to data mine Facebook, LinkedIn and other social media accounts. They'll, they'll look at the, the faces of the people 
and what they're writing about in unstructured data, you know, they're following this, that, or that. Mm -hmm. And the, the machine is going to be able to determine everybody eats a low carb diet, has healthier looking faces, and the machine will be able to say, this person's keto, this person's carnivore, this person's vegan, this person's vegetarian, just because they'll be able to discern that. You and I can't do that just yet, although I'm getting pretty good at it. The machines, computer, um, artificial intelligence, are really going to get that down. So um, the healthcare of the future are going to be computers, just looking at photographs uh, predominantly. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that development uh, in the near future. That, that's exciting. So uh, as you know, I think uh, this always kind of turns, this, our healthcare system always turns political. And I think mostly because the government has made it political. Um, and the reason they do that, I believe, is so they can control us. Um, and that's why it's important for us to you know, educate and empower consumers that they do not have to be part of the system. They can get away from that system and they are in charge of their health care, not some government program, not some insurance company, um, but they're ultimately in charge. Um, and you had a great analogy when we were talking a pre-conference call about why you don't ever think the system is going to fix itself, um, especially the insurance-based system. And you had an analogy with Google and a self-driving car. Will you go into that, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, so Google, their first generation of a, a driverless operating systems, had the capacity to look in 250 feet, uh, and it would do that in every direction, 360 degrees, and it did it 60 times a second. So they quickly realized that you know you can infer from that that computers were going to be far more effective at operating cars than humans. And eventually, it's going to be illegal for these things to operate cars. Human hands are just not going to do that. So you would think the logical application for that technology is to take that to the people that, that got the pain point. You know, whose problem that is? Well, who pays for, a, you know, has got the biggest exposure when a car crashes are automobile industries, so insurance companies. So uh, insurance companies have to pay these bills. But with the onset of driverless operating systems, it's become you know, apparent to uh, the insur auto insurance industry that in the near future, you're going to see uh, driverless operating systems reducing the cost of auto insurance down to about $35 a year. Those wow. policies are going to be so cheap. So the auto industry is done in the future. And so they're all quickly migrating to, to other, other strategies lest they become Right. If, if no one crashes their car because the cars are so safe, no one gets hurt, no property gets damaged. So the costs of these policies are too cheap. And so that's why auto insurance industry is dramatically changing and they never would want and get behind driverless operating systems. And that's why you will never see health insurance companies get behind reversal disease and health optimization because it will undermine the amount of disease and the revenue they have. They won't be able to sell their healthcare policies for very much money. And you're gonna see humans so healthy that health insurance in theory could go down to probably like 50 or $100 a year as well if we could eliminate that chronic Absolutely. disease because you don't have to pay for a fracture in a, in a football game or some kind of sporting yeah. event instead of the trillions of dollars yeah. we're now spending. And so it's the, the policy that they make money from. And so more disease, more chronic disease, more you can charge for that policy they are actually motivated to, to sustain high levels of disease. So 
deluded into thinking that your insurance company is on your side to get your healthy. They exist for one reason, to maximize the profit for the shareholders. That's why they're there. They shouldn't even have that term, health. It should be profit optimization that they're working for. <laughs> right. And that, that's great. That, that's a great analogy. I've never heard that. And it's, and it's perfect. And it is true. The insurance company is in bed with the government regulators to create these things so they can charge $1,500 a month for some kind of family health policy that is a complete ripoff, complete scam. When in reality, if you kept yourself healthy in general, you would probably hardly ever, like besides in a trauma or whatever, hardly ever need health insurance. Like you say, it's really not health insurance. Yep, their discussions are centered around revenue. Members yeah. payment per month. All the executives in major health insurance always talk about members payment per month, what the revenue. Not like, how are we doing with our clients? How are we improving their health? No, how much money are we making? Members payment per month. If you're involved in the healthcare industry, that's what you guys are talking about. You've got a conflict of interest. And you, if you care about humanity, you join us on the, the light side here to reduce disease and improve human performance and the quality of life for everybody. Well, and I will also say that, um, you know, healthcare providers that are in the system, in that insurance-based system, in that government-based model system, um, I'm taking a quote from Dr. Keith Smith from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and um, he said that when he was doing it, when he was in that system, he felt like an accessory to the crime. And I got to say, one of the reasons my wife and I got out of it in our pharmacy was because we were enabling the system. We were perpetuating the system. So, you know, one of the things I do in my book, I, I wrote a book and it's available on Kindle on Amazon and it's called Sicken, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And there's a, a stepped approach about how to fix it. And one of the things is, is that healthcare providers have to be empowered to educate and empower their patients and get out of the system because the system would not survive if, um, patients and healthcare providers were educated that it's not gonna, it, you're not helping people. You're really not. You're keeping people sick. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think uh, direct primary care, uh, that Absolutely. is a DPC model that's, that's grown in popularity is, is, a, is, a, is a great model. And I've heard Dr. Smith speak. Um, but what, one of the things I think, you know, to your point is that's what we need to do. The physicians out there, First of all, they need to need to be to, to become aware of that direct pay model that's that's available for them to uh, uh, to have that kind of a, a, a alternative to, to the conventional system. But I challenge you as you do that to figure out ways that your revenue includes where you are incentivized to make your clients better. The longer my your my clients spend time with me, the more awesome and better they are throughout the years. I've been doing health optimization on myself for twelve years. I have never, ever been more healthy, better performing awesome. than at the age I am today. And I have no idea when it's going to stop. And that's what we should be selling to clients, the opportunities to don't buy the fact that when you get old, that you're going to be decreasing performance. Nope. No, that's a lie. It's deception. It's just the conventional approach to it. You should become increasingly more awesome. And oh, by the way, all of the knowledge and experience you have combined with the absence of disease is going to have you way better performing in your 50s and 60s and 70s, I think the football players, professional football players in the future 
are going to be just that, 50 and 60-year-old guys, the absence of disease, who can biologically perform extremely well with decades of experience playing the game, decades of experience being an attorney, decades of experience being an, an, uh, an accountant or whatever you're doing without chronic disease, and we're going to take humanity to a new level. It's just we have to eradicate chronic disease by educating people. Lifestyle really matters. What you eat, what you don't eat, how you eat, when you eat, how you exercise, how much sunshine you get. All these stack on top of each other with synergistic benefits to make what literally are superhumans we haven't seen because it's just not out there. You know, people lose a little weight. They do one thing. Uh, you get these experts are really deep on sleep, real experts really deep on sugar, diabetes. We have to get all of these things going lined up to get yep. the synergistic benefit to have this incredible improvement in health and performance. So tell me about creating a role model of the healthiest person in the world. Tell me what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, so I think that's one of the most important objectives uh, to, to achieve right now. If you think about it, we have role models for everything. Basketball players, uh, the best attorneys, the best engineers out there. Uh, we can point to the very best uh, accountants. We can point to the very best surgeons, very, very best internal medicine doctors, the very best soccer players, uh, very best swimmers. All of these different things, we have these metrics. They've adopted. And oh, by the way, when you started, zero. We didn't know what those metrics were. They developed because uh, what happens is it creates a role model, everybody starts going into it and, and it, it sustains. Where is the role model for health optimization? Who is the healthiest man in the world? Who is the healthiest woman in the world? And that's what we need to create. If you're Amazon, you're Apple, that's the contest of the future. And I'm just gonna spell, I used to think a super secret, boom, right now, internet, this show. You create that model, yep. you sell sponsorships to major corporations all over the country. Every corporation will want to get behind that because it's going to be one of the most attractive competitions out there because it's going to prove everybody. And you figure out why those people are healthy, uh, what, what justifies that they're healthy, what their lifestyles are, and you're going to have people tuning in all over the country to get that kind of information. They'll follow the TV shows. They'll follow all of the, the competitions on this. It's going to draw out all the alphas, the most Competitive people in the world are going to come on board and try to get named the, the healthiest people in the world because their pictures are going to be all over everything. They're going to be the most ultimate uh, sponsors, you know, associated with uh, different products and services. So you sell the sponsorships to companies. Uh, they in turn uh, turn around and get that data and that information and change their products and services. And if they don't, people yeah. buying from them. People stop, you know, purchasing, buying their services and their products if they're not part of the world's healthiest man in world competition, and you should do that for that. The healthiest 52-year-old, the healthiest 53-year-old, and you know you could even subdivide it. The healthiest attorney, the healthiest right. uh, physician, the healthiest basketball player, and you start doing that. Let's get our country into being super healthy. Everybody wants to be a basketball player. Everybody wants to be an accountant. Everybody wants to go make a lot of money. What if we turn this company into every, this country into a, a country that said, you know, uh, what would it be like to be optim optimally healthy, you know, without disease when I'm 50, 60 years old? That's what I want to create. That's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, uh, if you're Good interested, you, you like that awesome. idea, get a hold of me. That's, a, that's inspiring. So speaking of that, as we wrap this show up, um, what are your parting words for, for this podcast uh, radio show? 
Okay, so what I tell everybody that if you're listening to this, I want you to grasp one concept. Of every physical asset out there that you could ever own, box of gold, a warehouse of gold, uh, an enormous ocean liner filled with diamonds, all, multiply it by a thousand. It all pales in comparison to one thing. Your physical asset that is most valued yep. to you is your body. And Absolutely. as soon as you grasp that and you think about it, huh, you'll start to realize that it's your body that defies how much you're going to enjoy or suffer every single circumstance in the future for the remainder of your life. That's what's going to define how much you're going to enjoy or suffer in your life. So take care of your body. It's your most important physical asset. That's where it begins. And then get deeply interested in what it is that improves the body. Because when you do, you'll improve performance and you improve your quality of life and your length of your life. People that want to live a long time aren't living their life. Right. I never want to die. I feel so awesome. My health has changed so much. I don't want to die. I, every year gets better. And that's what you. you will be too. If you understand that and get super interested in how to optimize that body. So Dr. Shauna Mora, how is the best way that uh, people can get a hold of you? So I have a website that you can reach me, Medical Concierge Wellness. It's, you can just go to www.medconwellness, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Sean O'Mara, that's just at D-R-S-E-A-N-O-M-A-R-A. -A -A. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, try to post uh, and tweet every day some aspects, how to measure optimizing health, how to become optimally healthy, and because that's my passion. So right. I'd, I'd invite people that are interested in either uh, becoming optimally healthy or really performing better to get a hold of me. Um, looking for highly motivated alphas. And the reason why I want to go to that population because the more motivated you are, the better you're going to be as a role model rather than just starting with people that are just kind of dipping their toe in the pool. I want super motivated people. And if that's you, get a hold of me. I'm going to make you better. Awesome. So we'll also have a link um, to that stuff in our, in our show notes uh, so people can get a hold of you. And, and uh, uh, by I, the way, too, Sean, I'm not yeah. for profit. So I'm a big believer. I, I don't want to complain about profit, but I don't want anybody to think that profit is driving this. I'll tell you what's driving this. It's my passion and science, not profit. So I'm yeah. not for profit. It's, it's very obvious that you have a passion for it, and I appreciate it. It comes out in your words when you're speaking. So um, super excited for you and all the patients that, that you can help um, and just for people like yourself um, that want to get out there and educate and empower. And that's why we have this radio show. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham um, is here to educate and empower patients and healthcare providers um, to help change the world of health. Um, so we talk about all kinds of healthcare on this show. We stream live on um, my personal Facebook page. We also stream live on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacies YouTube site. And we are available on all the podcast sites. So Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes and so on. So go to those sites, um, like them, review them. And um, we are live at the K stream live at 1 to 2 p.m. every Monday at AM 1470 KBSN radio show studio in Moses Lake. Um, look for us then. And Dr. Amara, I really appreciate you 
being here with us and we will be in touch later. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, Bye-bye.